Good afternoon, everyone. This is The Shuffle Bus, recording from the Foundry in downtown Lincoln. I'm your host, Jesse Bergman, and as always, I have my effervescent co-host, Neil Molman, joining us today. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about, well, we have a special guest, Kevin Allen with his Car C deck, the Gen Con winning list. We're going to talk about spoilers that have come out recently. We're also going to discuss prepping for the local Energon Invitationals, and then we'll, uh, we'll pass it off for a new episode. We're going to have a great episode today, guys. Get on the bus. Let's take a ride. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Great. Welcome to the Shuffle Bus. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, I'm sure you've done a bunch of interviews about this in the last, I don't know, week or so, having won the, the Gen Con tournament. Had a few. It's honestly a little weird. <laughs> I bet. So I saw your Facebook post on the Transformers group this week. So it looks like TSA had a little trouble with your cube. It was super awesome of Watsi to take care of that. So tell us a little bit about what happened there, and then we'll dive into some, the real meat of this whole thing. So basically, Drew warned me coming back that it would trigger a security check. I guess that it's a solid glass trophy, and it shows up as as opaque on the scanners. So you know, TSA was checking. I figured I would still be safer with them than than with United Airlines baggage handlers. The guy checked it, he swabbed it, he started to put it back in. And as he did, he lifted the box up. And I, I, you know, I was running on about three hours of sleep going back and I sort of slow motion started to say, I'll get that. And then it tipped out and it hit the metal desk and two of the corners broke. And I, I was just in shock. I, I felt like I wanted to cry, you know, but they, they were apologetic, you know, and we're doing the claim thing. And like I said, when I got back home, I reached out to Drew. I let him know what had happened and, and asked him if there was anything they could do. Uh, you know, TSA is going to, to refund on it. I figured I would, would get the money to them. And Drew said, you know, eventually once he, he got back to, to work, that they would take care of it. They would do a replacement and, and no cost to, to me or anybody. And so it's just a, a sign of just how awesome this, this team is and how much they are willing to, to connect to this community. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I mean, obviously they didn't have to do anything there and they could have gone through the whole process with TSA and waited for that to all play out. But the fact that they just stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to take care of it. Like, man, that's, that's super awesome. So yeah, I'm this glad is a big that. kudos to the, the wizards crew and the pastimes crew and everybody involved, just how much they care about their players and their customers and all of it. Car C, obviously uh, this is, this is a very unique deck. You know, we had a chance to watch S. Akuma's coverage of your deck tech when it came out right after Gen Con. And I, he, Stefan did an awesome job of kind of breaking down the deck. So we're not going to spend a lot of time today with you out of respect for you to, to not go over that again. There's not really a need to do it. We will post the deck list in our show notes and you can you can look that up on our SoundCloud account and pull the deck list down and, and use it from there. Let's let's talk a little bit about how this deck came to be, though. Can, can you kind of enlighten us on how you got on this deck for, for Gen Con? Yeah, so I attended uh, TFCon in L.A., Last year, early this year, honestly don't remember. The game was still early and it was just barely into wave wave two, I think. And they were running some tournaments. I, I live in the, the San Francisco Bay Area, so I drove down for for the con, played in some tournaments there. And our casual our scene here in the, the Bay Area has tended to be pretty casual. So I honestly did not do terribly well going into a more 
competitive environment. But one of my wrecking defeats came at the hands of a woman who was there from, from Vegas and their group. And she ran this character spread. I, I never got her deck list, so I don't know if if it's close the same. I mean, obviously there's there's going to be some similarities, but she basically cleaned up in the the one pod that that she she played in. And I really liked the looks of the the characters. It, it's you know, I tend to to prefer decks that aren't straightforward, that uh, honestly I tend to like defensive style, control style decks. But this one was there was a lot of shenanigans, there were a lot of decisions. And it, the, the character spread really caught my attention. And so, you know, when I came back from L.A., I, I sat down and I, I made a deck using this. And I kind of played it off and on. And it, it always did very well for me. But like I said, we've got a casual scene. So I would tend to, to play it in a random event. And then I'd put it away for a few months. And, you know, it, it refined a little bit. But as we got closer to, to Gen Con... I really felt like it was the, the strongest deck that I had available going in. It was something you didn't see a lot of. I thought it had good answers to a lot of the, the common meta things you're going to see. You know, for instance, Insecticons, I think matching the width that they have is a, a really good way to deal with them. And so it just, it felt like the, the closest thing. It, it didn't change much for Wave 3. You can see in the deck list, you know, Heat of Battle, probably the biggest change, which honestly I got the most questions on from people while we were there. So yeah, it just seemed like the, the strongest thing I, I had going in. And, you know, that turned out to be a pretty good call. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, congratulations on your win. We didn't congratulate you yet. We did on the last show, just so we're clear. But <laughs> And on the last show, we talked a lot about your bots. Uh, I'll cover them again here real quick, and then we won't go into it real deep, because I'm sure that like the number one thing you talked about was the starter red alert to everyone. Yes. The four bots are Cliff Jumper. We all know and love Cliff Jumper. He is everywhere. He's also very expensive. The starter red alert, who's blank on both sides. <laughs> but still still turns out to be real good. Prowl, who's in every car deck, and RC, who's not a car, but also very good. So, so the, one, the one question that I wanted to ask you about the bots particularly was in the RC slot, like why, why did we pick RC? Obviously, she's one of the very best five-star bots, and so she fits, but were there any other considerations? What about her mm -hmm. was good in the deck? What about her maybe wasn't good in the deck? Yeah, so partially the, the deck came together before sideboards were a thing and and it also came together in the era when double primes were really sort of dominating a lot of everything and so she is there primarily to deal with with heavy blue and you know it if you can use your width to to keep her um, untapped and untargetable until especially if something's running battlefield legend is is obviously the big threat there you know, I use the width to protect her. And even if I only get one swing, you know, she can lay in for, for anywhere from nine to, to 10 damage. And that makes a, a huge, huge swing against something like Optimus that's relying on its defense. Once sideboards came around, I'll be honest, I, I don't use a sideboarded character in this deck, mainly because I can't find one that fits as well. You know, even if I, when I started looking to swap out RC, well, okay, let me look at, you know, some of these five-star cars or whatever. None of them have the health. None of them feel like they hit, hit as, as well. You know, I mean, even RC, even in, in a worst case against, you know, something like Barrage is still going to be two defense. A Bastion Shield turns it into a three defense. You know, being able to, to reliably go through that is still useful. I just haven't found anyone else that fits the, the build nearly as well. I will say too, I think that, you know, the, the natural 
inclination there might be like another car would be better, you know, but you do sort of hit a point of diminishing returns. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. In fact, you know, just looking at the deck list, I was really, I mean, it made total sense to me when I started looking at it. Like, you're right. Almost all the bots are a very similar stat line across the board. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like having four of the exact same bot, which just gives you a ton of consistency. Yeah. And the most of the five-star cards are all Decepticons and you turn your confidence off. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. So I, I mean, I think the list is great. It's, I, I think it's awesome that you talked about the sideboards because when I looked at this, when I was watching you play in the coverage, I was like, this is pretty cool because RC is kind of pre-sideboarded against the control decks too. Because like you said, all the, all the big defensive or big guy decks are three wide. They have the Optimus or Shockwave or whatever. And you're always going to like get that RC attack in on whoever you want because you're wider than they are. I'm interested in your Gen Con prep. I mean, I think a lot of people right now are prepping for Energon Invitationals. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in today's episode. But maybe some tips for a new player or somebody that's just wanting to take their first steps in organized play. What do you suggest as a way? Tell me a little bit about your testing process and your locals. Do you do you have a group of people you test with? Do you have a friend? Do you goldfish? What, what you know? Tell me tell me a little bit about it. So it's probably going to be a little disappointing for anyone who's looking to to follow in in footsteps because I'm not entirely sure I have one. I just play the game. Like you said, we have a fairly casual environment here. I, I've actually been trying to change that a little bit, but I also, I, I like that a game can stay casual. And so I, I run a lot of events, you know, we, we've managed to, to build a pretty consistent, reliable community, but, you know, we also welcome everyone from, you know, the, the, the worst players we've got to the, the best. Um, so largely I just kind of, of play the game. I, I tend to do a lot of sort of offline analysis, but, but even that is, is sort of vague. I, I'm a big believer personally, I, I don't have the time to play 30 games in a day, right? Or, or 30 games even in a week. I, I, I can maybe fit in one or two play nights and, and I'll get four or five games on, on each of those. So I tend to believe in learning how to adapt. And so, you know, when, when I went into to Gen Con, I didn't know, I mean, th there's obvious things, right? Like, you know, Insecticons are going to be there. I expected to see a lot more Battlefield Legend. I was prepared for it, you know, didn't really turn up so much this time for some reason. I still don't know why. But, you know, understanding the, the broad meta and then being able to look at the cards that are there, understand what they're going to hit you with and and react on the fly. And and that served me really well, especially going into to to the the finals. You know, I, I started into that run and, you know, the I think three of the five decks that I faced are things I had never seen before. No one had, I, I had never seen them. Vector Sigma dropped their, their team deck that day. I faced one of them. And so it was, was stuff that I hadn't 
couldn't have prepared for because it wasn't anything anyone was playing previously. And so being able to go in and, and, and adapt on the fly as opposed to, you know, a lot of strict, okay, I'm going to face X, Y, and Z prep, I think served me really well. Do you think some of your casual play had something to do with that? Because what you see in casual is you see oddball team lineups, you see strange combos that maybe aren't what you would call top tier performers, but it gives you a much better understanding. At least I think it might give you a much better understanding of how the game operates when things don't look normal or what we would expect normal to look like. Do you think that some of your casual had anything to do with that? Um, I do actually. And, and, you know, I, I think that, that there's something to be said for for casual decks as well when you're playing them that you know you you don't always have this sense of of perfect control you know the the deck's not tuning well it's not running right you're not getting the cards you need learning how to adapt and react and work with what you have is is an important skill as well but yeah the 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 ability to to see a wide variety of things and and react to it on the the fly you know, I, I agree with you entirely. Casual play helps you develop that skill very, very well. And, and you know, I, I will say, too, that, that I think it, it helped a little bit when I went in. You know, one of the things that I, I think, you know, helped me a lot on the day is, is I really surprised the meta. No one else was running anything even close. And I, I think that, that when I ran into the, the, the players who did kind of obsessively prepare and test against, you know, the, the specific expected meta stuff, you know, it, it, I don't feel like people quite knew how to deal with it as, as it was coming in. And so I, I think that was a big boost for me in that surprise factor. Now, whether or not I can do that again next tournament, I don't know. We'll see. Your deck did seem very, very good against what the meta appeared to be there. You know, I, I think a lot of people went into the tournament with a similar outlook to you where like they thought there was going to be a lot of Battlefield Legend and there just wasn't there, there were a ton in sideboards and stuff, but it was a lot of like lionizer decks. There's a lot of aggro decks and stuff. And your deck is just perfectly seated to beat other aggro decks. Cause like most of the cards, aggro decks are three wide. You get just a million more attacks than them. Mm -hmm. And like the insecticons deck the same way you're as wide as they are. Like, like one of the reasons that the insecticon decks preys on those other aggro decks is the same as yours, where just wider than they are. And they have, still functions but you you got six on taps they just have the three still functions yeah and the other thing i'll add there too that helps me a lot with the insecticons is the extra card draw makes you know again like you said i i've got twice as many as them plus i'm drawing two cards a turn right and you just see a much larger percentage of your deck than they do yes kind of elaborate on that a little bit further i just i'm really interested in this this uh, idea behind it and and early on when the results first came out and and we were talking we kind of were chatting back and forth a little bit on facebook and i had asked you a question if you were a limited player because to me when i looked at your deck it looked like a limited deck. Like it looked like this, okay, here, here's just good stat line bots. And that in limited is one of the best ways to play the game because if you don't have consistency in the deck, then the bots have to be your, your point of consistency. So good stat lines in limited make a lot of sense. And I was sitting there going, okay, well this, that's why I asked. I'm like, did, did, you play, did you play limited? So you just looked at red alert and went, oh, six stars for these stats. Like that's exactly what I want in a limited deck. So, but you, you kind of came back to me and you said, no, I, I, I don't like the randomness of limited. I, and I totally get that. Let's talk a little bit about kind of your decision making on how to use red alert effectively, because I'm not sure it's like when I watched your gameplay, it wasn't always about 
flipping him to his five attack, zero defense side and swinging for the fences. So talk to me a little bit about how you were leveraging red alert, how, how you kind of in general, like some of the decision-making, basic decision-making of the deck for our listeners. So if somebody did decide to try to play this, they have maybe just a little bit of an uptick in understanding of the deck. Right. So how I would use red alert would depend on a couple of things. Number one, when I, I could swing with him, if I was likely to get a kill out of it, you know, one of the, the, especially through the, the, the elimination rounds in the finals, it was very, very heavily orange, which meant that your, your math on what you need to pull a kill is, is going to be fairly safe. Although in the finals that failed me on that, that horrible flip. That, yeah, that one attack was just so brutal. It was like three whites and a starcher engines. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and, and uh, one more white in there. I flipped six cards. I got one orange. Um, yeah, I was going to say it was four whites, right? Yeah, I was, I, I was like, man, that is rough. And, and I needed two to kill Lionizer, and that cost me that game. But anyway, back back to this. A, a big part of it is is knowing if the, the extra two attack will make a difference on a kill. If it won't, you know, it, it, 10 health and two defense on a six star character is actually really beefy. That's a lot. You know, uh, what the basic decision making there, it'll also come down to whether or not I have an untap in my hand, right? If I can get a kill, then, then I will probably trade red alert for whatever I can get that kill on. If I can't, then what I will, especially if I have an untap in my hand, I leave him in car mode to throw it out to get what damage I can and hopefully have him survive the return. Because that extra two, you know, the, the jump from 10 to 12 is is actually a pretty big one. I mean, it, it just feels like two health. But like, for instance, the, the jump in, especially if you're facing another aggro deck, the, the jump in total armor and health from, say, six to eight is probably not relevant, right? The character's probably still going to die. There's an inflection point around that 10, 11, 12, where, where even most aggro decks cannot get there. For instance, against Insecticons, you know, Kickback can reliably throw eight and maybe get to 10, depending on the, the, the flips. If you've got 12, especially if you know they can't play many cards, he's probably safe. And so if I'm holding an untap that lets me throw an attack, get five or six damage out there, untap him, lead to someone else. And then, you know, at the point when I know he's going to die anyway, then I flip to the zero defense and go bigger on the attack. I, I really enjoyed watching you play in those games that they had coverage of. Your deck and the way you played it was like the least aggressive aggro deck <laughs> that I that ha- was at the tournament. Because, you know, a, a lot of the decks were all in on Peace or Tyranny or just, just all in on you know, play upgrade, play action attack. When I watched most of your games, you were playing very conservatively. You would leave, like Jesse was talking about the red alert specifically, leave it in car mode to get the extra defense or just like have the ability to untap it. Or you, I noticed you played force field just whenever you could pretty much. And I mean, against bugs, that's great. Against lionizer, that's great. And, you know, people, the big thing lately has been that that armor is dead because of bashing shield and i mean both your deck and your opponent's deck in the finals had bashing shields and you both of you you more often than him still just stuck a force field and and got the value and obviously you have the bolster in your deck to like get even a little bit more tech which i think is really cool but it just you know you're you're just like playing force field because you know that you're going to get more attacks than your opponent that way and i, I think that's great like i i think that you know, in the first game of the finals, the, the coverage team was talking about how your red alert got left with one health 
and you you had the untap and you untapped him and they were like yeah we're just gonna he should just tag with red alert now because he's gonna lose him and then you attack with cliff jumper and i mean I, did you know your opponent's list at that time <laughs> okay, I, I was wondering about that because it turned out that your opponent was only playing one one-shell stand and one zap. So if he had either of those, it was going to be bad. But like, I just that was one play I had specifically wondered about because as it turned out, you actually ended up getting an extra attack out of Red Alert that game because he didn't die. You just like waited and attacked with him, then you untapped your whole squad on the wheel. And I was like, that's this is really cool. Like, <laughs> I, I I will be honest, I I you know. We, my local area, we don't tend to see a lot of the direct damage play. I know that you know that there's a different view on, especially one chill stand in, in some of the the broader meta. And it, you know, I, I I will admit, I went back and I watched the the my own matches and I, I listened to the commentator. And I'm like, oh yeah, they're they're right. That was that was really <laughs> risky. Uh, but you know what? At the same time, it paid off and and it worked out for yeah. you. I mean, I I'm very pro that kind of play. I mean. If you know that your opponent has one shell and you've like like they have three quarters of their deck flipped and you see only one one shell stand in in the scrap pile, then you probably shouldn't make that play because it's very likely they have it. But like you ended up getting an additional attack out of that. Like you ended up spreading the damage real, real thin, like real risky, but you profited. It was all right. Yeah, one one other thing I'll, I'll add on the the force field play is uh, you know I, I think a lot of people get wrapped up on the the idea that your armor doesn't do everything it is going to do. It is still not a a wasted play. You know it. it you have to balance it against other things you you do have right but i mean even if i know you have a bashing shield i basically trade my upgrade play for your upgrade play you know i play a force field you have to play a bashing shield you know that means and especially on an aggro side you know that means that you're not playing a grenade launcher you're not playing a power punch so you know that force field is still saving me anywhere from three to five damage incoming depending on on what it is and i think that's that's an undervalued aspect of the play and so especially since i i tend to work on a lot of smaller attacks i can look at this and say okay you know if if i don't play you know my own supercharger or sorry uh power punch and you know i i drop this force field i force you into that i'm still going to get enough damage that you die on the next attack and so right and 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 your upside is so much bigger than theirs when like the fort like you were saying the force field and the bachelor show are going to trade for each other that's just going to happen if one of them is played you're just daring him to have it like you said if he has it it's not the end of the world for you because you've traded card for card and they've lost a possible upgrade play to do some damage but if you stick it like your upside is so much bigger than than them just like having a bashing shield or whatever like it's it's a i think it's a good trade-off i yeah, still like force field a lot. the reality of it is is that even if the force field sticks they still really probably don't want to play power punch or grenade launcher into force field right so you're still getting the same net result even if the bashing shield does land uh it does it does make the counter attack a little more tricky because now you've got an opponent with a bashing shield with more damage or more armor on it but i still think it's a i mean like you said it makes total sense i i love watching that sort of back and forth happen during those games let's kind of we're, we're coming close to the a lot of time for kevin here so i have one additional i have one additional question about the finals um that i thought was kind of interesting so after winning game one your opponent chose to let you go first and then in game three 
uh, when you had the choice, you also chose to go first. So one of you is like wrong and maybe, <laughs> maybe wrong isn't the right word, but like, obviously like one of you had like the wrong idea about the other person's situation or about their own situation. Cause you shouldn't both want the same thing. So I just, I just wondered from your point of view, what, if you thought like you're always supposed to go first playing this deck or if sometimes you're supposed to go second or what the what your thought process was when it came to that decision sure so i i generally will will go first and, and for two reasons and and one of them is general and one of them was against that specific deck the the first one the, the general reason is that if i get people tapped faster i have more cycles to get them untapped one of the, the the sort of challenge points when you play an untapped strategy is when you get down to one character or a you're, you're, you're bound in the number of untaps you can get by the number of characters your opponent has. And so the 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 if I start the un, my tapping first, then I have more cycles to do the untaps. More specifically against that deck, if I go second on one card play, I probably cannot pull a kill on Lionizer, who I know he's leading with, right? So what I want to do is, is I go first and I get a hit into Wheeljack, who I think is the big scary one there while he's an open target. And I get some extra damage on him, enough that one more attack can finish him off. So I, I'm not going to kill Lionizer in, in one swing on, on, either, on my first attack either way. So hopefully I can get that damage into Wheeljack and open him up for... And that was exactly what happened when you went first. You just put a big hurt on, on the Wheeljack and then got attacked by Lionizer and then killed the Wheeljack later. So, yeah, I, I kind of thought that was, that was what was going on. I, I just found it interesting that uh, both players had decided that you going first was right. And so it, I just brought that question in my mind. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was an interesting thing. I was kind of surprised when he, he let me go first in, in game two. And, and he won that game, to be clear. <laughs> so, but <laughs> I'm not sure you going first had anything to do with it. But <laughs> I, Yeah, I, I, I will say... Uh, yeah, and and I, I will say I probably should have won game two. I mean, if you take that flip away, you know, that leaving Lionizer at one health on that crazy, crazy flip, um, you know, let him do the piece through tyranny yeah. and that turned the entire game. So you, know, you, you take that away and he has to do a single attack with, with Lionizer and Wheeljack into, well, the Wheeljack and the Saber, you know, into to Red Alert, and, and it's a very, very different. Yes, it, it definitely is. Well, regardless, Kevin, I will say it was skillfully done. Obviously, awesome job to bring something completely out of left field into one of the largest tournaments to date, pilot it all the way through to the end, and, and bring home the win. I mean, even if, even if you would have never brought home the win, just even just a, a top four finish for this deck would have been incredible. So the fact that it won, I mean, you, you've really, I think, changed a lot of Transformers players' mindsets about how to evaluate cards and how to play cards going forward. Thank you. And, and you know, I... I... I, I'm happy to have done that. You know, it uh, when when we did the the deck tech uh, with with S. Akuma, you know, it, it, honestly, even I didn't quite realize I wasn't running improvised shields. I, I couldn't even tell you when that particular swap out happened. <laughs> yeah. But you know, he came back to me the next day and is like, "Wait, this wasn't in there, and what are you doing?" So. You know, and, and there's there's reasons for that, but I, I I know that that I feel a lot of my success was there were several cards like Red Alert, Key to Battle is another big one that I found value in that a lot of people had discounted. So you know, if I make people take another look, then then that's all to the better. Yeah, well, you you definitely have, and we're just you know, it's awesome with your perhaps unique valuation of cards. I gotta ask, 
do you think that Megatron can make top 32 at PAX? Uh, uh, General Megatron? Because we have a yeah, we, we, have we have a bet going here. on. Any, we have a bet. Any, any Megatron. Gen, no, it's General Megatron. I will say I qualified in my first qualifier Thursday night. I have a General Megatron deck that I played in one of the qualifiers Friday, and I went 0-3 with. So I, I, I think... That's not what I want to hear, Kevin. <laughs> I know, I know. At the moment, I think that defensive decks have have a bit of a hill to climb, generally speaking. And I think press the advantage makes defensive Decepticon decks almost unplayable. It, I very much agree with you. I just, I, I have the dream of winning this bet. Obviously, I, I missed out at uh, him making any sort of showing at Gen Con, but I got to get him in the top 32 of packs. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep trying to. I, I, I had a living weapon built back in the day. I have a run, like I said, I, I played a General Megatron one here. I keep trying to make it work. But, you know, one of the interesting things, if I can can take the, the platform to Soapbox for a moment, I, I'm really hoping that Wizards updates the, the tiebreaker rules, especially. You know, I, I think the game has a natural advantage towards aggressive decks, but the tiebreakers just, and the time limit, just put so much of a, a weight against any defensive blue decks that I think it's going to be hard seeing them. Obviously, they made it work at Origin, so maybe I'm just missing something with it, but there's just a real built-in advantage for, for Orange. I've heard some rumors on changes to the tiebreakers that I think would be really good, and hopefully we'll see some of that soon. Yeah, I agree with you for, for the most part about the defensive decks that they're just kind of, especially right now after Wave 3, they're they're in a in a difficult place like they it's not that they can't win they just got to work a lot harder to do it and like you said for the the tournament format specifically after there were so many like rounds in time and draws at origins gen con at gen con there, we didn't have rounds and draws in at origins we had them at gen con yeah um after we had so many rounds of time and draws that they they've been talking about fixing the time limits and how they're going to do that and everything because it was just kind of a bad deal if if you listen to vector's podcast from back around that time uh they talk about it too and it's just honestly i think the biggest fix is blue still needs to be aggressive on some level it just doesn't need to be as aggressive as orange so they just need to give blue access to some weapons or actions that have blue pips on them that have aggressive output like i mean i i think we've got too much defense built into it now and not enough offense. Yeah, but we, we appreciate that insight. Well, hey, we, we want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, I mean, we definitely hope for the best for you in future tournaments. You get to kind of kick back and relax while the rest of us have to grind local invitationals now to get there because we couldn't make Gen Con. And yeah, so you say that, but one of the interesting things for me at this point is I have to figure out how to beat myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Honestly, I don't have an answer to this deck either, and it's out there now, so, you know. Well, we uh, we will definitely look forward to what you brew up at PAX. Uh, obviously, the meta is going to change so much between now and then. We're going to have a bunch of new cards. So is there anything that you've seen in spoilers in the last week? Since we're going to talk about spoilers next, it makes a good segue. What's your what's your favorite card you've seen in spoilers so far this last week? I, honestly, I, I, I love the look of Hot Rod. I, I like the, the Steadfast, I think it is, ability is going to slow down the the one turn um big yeah. strikes that should you know maybe help defensive decks a little bit having that that guaranteed first could open up some it's, really interesting deck plays if you can manage to say get a bunch of healing going with steadfast i i, I don't think we're going to see a steadfast below three just because it'd be insane but maybe but you know i think it's going to open up some surprisingly interesting plays and i i've always loved nemesis i love his deck recycle tricks and i i like the idea of you know a defensive blue deck that can do a whole lot of new shiny things once it 
manages to survive a cycle. Yeah, I I think the steadfast thing is very interesting. You know, I, I think it's going to put a lot of zaps in people's lists or yep. or things of the that nature. Strafing runs, photon bombs. Yeah, just whatever to turn it off before you attack. But it, I mean, it makes them do that. It's just like it's just like the force field thing. Like you make them spend a card to deal with this kind of situation. And so yeah, I, I think he's awesome. And I I think he's for sure like the biggest reveal that we've had. I think like, you know, Trypticon looks cool, Redbag looks cool, but Autobots like the Yeah. I, wh- one other thing I'll add real quick is, you know, I, the the Facebook groups especially when when they reveal Trypticon, everyone is like, oh he's crap, he's crap. He's so so bad. And you know, my my response is well, you know, everyone thought Metroplex was awful too. Let's let's <laughs> wait and see. And then they, they reveal that triple pip star car and everyone's like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it blows up then, right? So, <laughs> yeah, we. I think I think the you know time will be time will be the benefactor for this as we see what else is spoiled out of wave four and how how that can benefit Trypticon, but also just how it can benefit the other characters. And and I don't know that he's going to be you know a, a complete top tier, but you know I, at this point I I think the community needs to have a little more faith in the the development team. These guys really know what they're doing. You know I, I will say obviously my my highlight of the weekend was winning this. My second was Matt Smith was there and he was walking around and, and on more than one occasion he came by as I was starting a game or finishing game and he's like red alert uh huh you know they, they and. So, you know, it, it, they they know these things that, that we are still trying to find. And so, you know, and there's definitely going to be times we see something they don't, but there's a lot of things they see that we don't, and we need to give them credit on. I, I totally agree. And that's that, that's really important as a community is to not believe the house is on fire every time something comes out that looks broken or, yeah. or sometime when a deck wins with a certain bot or a certain card is always in all the decks. Like that doesn't mean that the, the world is burning. It just means that that's a good card or a good bot. But it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. And I would venture to guess that because Cliffy has made such a strong appearance now, people are going to be figuring out how do I get rid of Cliff Jumper as fast as possible? And and I think there's uh, there's some answers out there. I mean, we've certainly started our testing on this side to look at how to do that and how to deal with it. But, well, Kevin, thank you so much again. I, I can't be more appreciative of you coming on the show and spending some time with us today and, you know, just keep doing amazing things in the community for us. Thank you. And thank you for what you guys do. And and glad I could spend the time with you today. All right. Well, we'll see you probably at PAX. We're going to try to make it out there. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Kevin. Well, again, big shout out to Kevin for coming on. Uh, We're such a small and new show in the community. And so it's huge for us to have somebody like him here with us. But we're going to jump into spoilers. I can't believe we're already into wave three or wave four. Wave four spoilers. Yeah, we're, we're on to wave four spoilers already. We just fresh off Gen Con. The meta isn't even settled down and we're already starting to see new cards. And I kind of I kind of laugh about this a little bit because to me, what we see is this constant influx of new information in this game wizards does such a great job of keeping us plugged in week in and week out so much so that last episode when we were recording the gen con recap they were dropping trypticon at gen con and the action card for trypticon as well as all the support bots and i'm like do we even have time to cover trypticon in this episode we don't like we're we're 
constantly because of the excess content we're constantly trying to figure out how do we plug all of this into our show in a timely manner so we're going to rapidly go through spoilers today as fast as we can because we still want to talk about energon prep and kind of some of the things we're working on prepping on our side and then we're going to wrap things up for this episode and we'll we'll revisit these in greater detail as we start to see more spoiler cards from wave four come out so Neil, let's uh, let's fire it off with the big daddy himself, Triptychon. Let's let's read off what Triptychon does and how he behaves, and then we'll we'll tie all the cards and pieces together, talk about them for a few minutes, and we'll move on. Okay, so they're releasing another Titan, the Decepticon answer to Metroplex Triptychon. I'm sure everyone is very excited from a lore point of view. Absolutely, because he's a dinosaur, and he's not like. Like, he's like a Godzilla. Like He's, no. he's like the dinosaur, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Sorry, Grimlock fans. I think Grimlock's cooler than Trypticon, but <laughs> well, <laughs> we can fight about that. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll so duel it out. Trypticon, Assault Base, is a Titan, and he's ranged on the alt side. Four attack, 30 health, two defense. Starts the game with three characters under it, just like Metroplex. Full tail wipeout, Brunt. And uh, he has additional text that each of your other characters has bold one. So he has a little bit more going on on his uh, alt side than... Metroplex. Metroplex is pretty vanilla on his alt side. Yeah, he just I start with these under me like mode, right? And <laughs> and play them. But we're we're seeing this from the design team just in general. Bots are being more effective on their alt sides than in the past. Like wave one alt side bots tend to be pretty pretty bland. But by the time we got to wave three, we were starting to see more alt side abilities. So I think it makes sense the design team starting to realize like this alt side, even though you start the game in it, is got significant meaning. Another thing that's interesting about Triptychon that we'll read here in a second on his on his bot side is that his bot side has a when you flip to this activation, which you know is is less common. Most of the ones that are when you flip to this are the alt side, but so on his on his bot mode he's Titan and he's melee instead of ranged. He switches that. Six attack, thirty health, one defense. So he he actually gains a stat on this side. He goes from four to six and two to one. And when you flip to this mode, you may KO one of your other characters. If you do, this gets plus three attack until that turn or repair three damage from this. And that that's important here because I, I think when I analyze Trypticon, I think it's going to be hard to determine whether or not the healing three is more important than the offensive three. And the reason why I say that is because he's five less health than Metroplex. And we know right now that Metroplex is having a hard time emerging as a top-tier deck, certainly a competitive deck, but not necessarily a top-tier. Yeah, pretty good, not insane. Exactly. So being five less health, and I don't quote me on this because I don't have Metroplex right in front of me, but does Metroplex have another point of armor? I don't know. I don't remember. I I can't remember. So I'm going to have to go back and look at Metroplex and and verify that. But even if they're the same armor, that five health is is a a significant difference. Right, the thing about the healing in this game is that, like, traditionally, at least at a competitive level, it hasn't been very good or important. Now, a bot like this that has a very large health pool will be able to use that healing better because it has more time to, like, do this ability. The question really is is whether or not, like, you want to be sacking your guys to 
getting its health back or just like killing them. Right. So, so you let's heal go, a lot of damage by killing a bot. So let, let's go talk about the bots because I think it's important to understand where this decision point could come in when you start talking about playing Trypticon. So let's talk about his three support bots. Let's run through them really quickly and then we'll add some more in from this. Okay. So we'll start with uh, Brunt. This is the tank. He's very similar to Slammer. He's a 3-3-3 and he doesn't flip. He just has an alt side. He's a tank and he's ranged. All these bots have a new keyword, which is exciting. Revenge. Use a character's revenge ability when it's KO'd. So this has synergy with the Trypticon who, who kills all his friends. Yep. Because he's so full of hate. He is uh, an angry, angry... Yeah. Somebody just needs to feed this guy, I think. Yeah. I think he's just hungry. But Brunt has revenge. Scrap an enemy weapon or armor if you have Trypticon on the battlefield. So if you have Trypticon in play and Brunt is KO'd for whatever reason, the Trypticon ability or just damage or whatever you do, you get to scrap an enemy weapon or armor. That's a reasonable ability, right? It is, like, right. It's built in Bastion Shield on the field. It's built in Scrapper Gauntlets. I mean, it's... it's. I mean, out, outside of Metroplex or Trypticon, this dude makes Slammer look like crap. Like... That's very true. Because, you know, there's you the same him except in, Slammer's blank or whatever. Yeah, you could play him in a five-wide tank deck, right? And even if he, like, your opponent does not want to one-shell stand, one-shell fall this bot. Right, unless that it it comes into a situation where they're in a position where they go, okay, I have no none of these things met, so now's my opportunity to do it. But you can actively do this yourself with your own one shall stand, one shall fall outside of Trypticon, and I think that makes tanks a little more potent because it frees up a slot maybe in the deck for not having to run as many bashing shields or other removal pieces yeah he's just he's just very interesting like i think that slammer like for a while at least was fringe playable people just like liked his his three three stat line for four stars or whatever but he's always been kind of dumpy because he's just blank and he doesn't flip or do anything but this guy does something right like it's it's a little interesting and with the trypticon specifically you can like play him more than once you know you get this ability a couple times it's it's good like that's a that's an effective use of your your four stars. Okay, so let's move on to bot number two here. Yeah, so the second bot is full tilt. He is a car, and he is melee on his alt mode. Four stars, two attack, five health, one defense. He also has a revenge ability, as we'll see across all these bots. Do one damage to an enemy if you have Trypticon on the battlefield. So this one is a little less exciting than the slammer, or right. not the slammer, the brunt. Do one damage is, is a fine ability. Two five one is like, like five health is is low. It is low, <laughs> but it's a four star bot. I mean, let's be clear here. Yeah, his other side, his bot mode is ranged, two five one, so he retains the same stat line. And he has revenge, do two damage to an enemy if you have Trypticon on the battlefield. So this is like, unless you care that he's a car, this is a full upgrade. All the same stats, but his revenge is an extra damage. Yeah, I think the only reason you care about him as a car is if you're trying to go wide. Like using if you were if you were on the turbo boosters plan here or the starter engines plan, but the starter engines plan would still work here. Right. If if you're playing him because he's a car, you're not going to do the revenge anyway probably because you have to have Trypticon for the revenge to happen. Right. So he's just like the piddliest little car in the Trypticon deck, you know, it's it's some direct damage that doesn't take up an action of yours. It's, you know, you can force him to attack this and like ping him or whatever. You can like shoot their hot rod, <laughs> which is something we'll talk about in a little while that we were talking about with yep. Kevin a little bit. Well, well, yeah, definitely. So I I think he's fine. I I I think for the most part, these bots 
are a little worse than six gun or uh, what's the other one? Gosh, can't think of it. Scamper six gun. Yeah, scamper. So I, I I think for the most part these bots are a little better than scamper or six gun or a little worse than scamper or six gun because they like pump your metroplex, and these ones like they have an effect but they don't do a ton besides absorb attacks. Right. Um, yeah. So the the third bot is wipeout. He is also a car. He's ranged in car mode. So this is the second car ever ranged in car mode after the starter red alert. And and hot rod. Hot rod's ranged in car mode. The seven star hot rod from wave two, the sentinel hot rod. Oh, he's, okay. he's ranged, yeah. Yeah. So his this is three six zero on the car mode. So he's a little more aggressively statted. He's got an extra power, he's got an extra health. He has revenge, draw a card if you have Tryptocon on the battlefield. Again, just a fine ability, not insane, but if you're doing the Tryptocon thing where you're killing them, then it gets you some value. The the other side of Wipeout, the bot mode, again, does not change stats. 360, he's ranged, and you draw two cards. So he follows the same pattern as Full Tilt where... He gets a little more value out of getting flipped. Right. If if you keep him alive long enough to flip him and then kill him, you get more out of him than you would otherwise. So I, I think they're all pretty interesting. Like, the deck sounds fun to play. You might be asking... Uh, How do I get these bots out? Yeah. I'm asking for the audience. How do I get these bots out, Neil? Okay. So on either side of Trypticon, if, if you're paying attention to me reading, which I understand if you're not, I'm I'm very dull, The there's no thing that says deploy x guy from under this like we've seen on metroplex or like we've seen on the blaster sound wave so in the starter presumably in the starter right or well it's not a starter a, so did to clarify wizards did announce how we're getting trypticon and how we're getting his support bots so inside of a booster box when you buy a whole booster box there is one trypticon card in the box then his Extra bots are inside the booster packs, along with the action cards that are needed. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to take a minute here. I don't like that at all. Like, the idea of a box topper is cool. Wizard's been doing that for a long time with magic and other stuff where they're just like, here, buy this box. You get this foil, whatever, bad card. And it was neat. Like, they're collectible. They have sometimes alternate art, whatever. And so I think it's cool that, he's kind of, that they have a box topper for this game. However, like, I like to play Draft and Sealed and, like, if I open a slammer or a, a brunt, if I open a brunt, I'm going to be very upset. Like, it's just like, like this doesn't do anything unless I have this other thing that can't be in the limited pool because it's like in the top of the box and not in the packs. And it sort of puts us back in the wave two limited where you just last pick because right. you have no choice. Where, where you're drafting. Enigma. Where you're drafting and there's like this Dinobots Enigma going around and there's no possible way that you would have all the dino bots because they're rares or that you would play them anyway because they're bad. And uh, <laughs> so you just end up with this like this enigma in your pool for draft last pick that you have no choice but to take. And then you have to play 20 of your 23 cards. Tw- 25 of your 28. 25 of your 28 cards that like if if this happens to me three times like – I'm just playing literally every card I have because these other cards are not playable. Like right, they're, impl- they're not unplayable. even a pip. Right. They're, well, they're orange or green pip, right? Right, but that doesn't help you at all. You're never, R- sure. The, the green pip is only good if you want to play the Enigma. That's, that's true. But I, I mean, they, they, I just don't want, I want to be clear to our listeners that the action card we're going to talk about for deploying here does have a green pip on it. Yeah, so, let's, so let's explain it. Battlefield Incursion is a Decepticon action. It has a green pip. 
It has no other pips. So it's very similar to the Enigmas in that it's, you know, tied to the bots and you can pick it up whenever you need it, but it doesn't add to your combat. The action says deploy a character from under your Trypticon assault base to the battlefield, which this is how you get him out. Like the Metroplex flips, the Soundwave and Blaster flip to put him in play. This one, you can't. Like you might go a whole game without doing this if something terrible happens, like if you get espionaged a bunch. But since it has a green pip, you can always pick it up. And I think if you're playing this deck, you every time you see one in your battle flips, you're just you're scrapping for the green pip to get it. Because if you're not, like, I don't know what Trypticon is doing if he's not playing those guys. But it's interesting, though, because you could actually end up playing your guys faster than Metroplex can do it. Without a doubt, yeah. Just maybe less consistently, but possibly more often. I mean, you have to figure the Metroplex is deploying a bot every other turn. So... Without spending card slots for things like escape route or rapid conversion, which maybe you want those in this deck too, it's potentially possible. You are you're, you're going to use some number or percentage of the deck for cards that are not going to help you be offensive or defensive, depending on which way you would go with this. And now with this, we have a card that we can occupy three slots with that doesn't care where Trypticon sits in his modes we now are sitting in a position to deploy bots. Right. And, you know, obviously there's ways to speed up the Metroplex thing. There's ways to speed up this too if you play cards that give you additional actions. But it's just, it's different, right? It's new. It's something cool that we haven't seen yet in the game to have a card that, like, actually plays a bot for you. Like, Yeah, I, I, I agree that this makes, this makes Trypticon much more interesting to me. And... I'm not sure he will be competitive. I want to be. I want to go on record ahead of time here, but I'm not sure that they really want Titans to be competitive, and I think that's why he sits as a box topper. Uh, Omega Supreme, we're talking to you. Yeah, you know it's interesting. So TCG <laughs> rollout. I, this is a tangent, and I don't want to go too far off because we're tight on time. But TCG rollout played in his Energon Invitational with an Omega Supreme deck and took second. Pretty I, funny. I read that article. The other thing I took away from the article about top eights of Energon Invitationals is that the only ones that I've heard of have been won by Bug so far. So take that home Very with true. you. Yeah, Trypticon is, he's interesting. He's cool. He, he's like, I feel the same way about him that I felt about Metroplex when they announced him. Like, like this is real dorky, but I kind of want to do it anyway. Like, it just, right. it, it just fun. sounds fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And, you know, it's okay to play this game for fun. Like, Absolutely. I hope that everyone enjoys their Trypticon. I'm going to read you the card that, like, makes Trypticon actually interesting and possibly powerful here. Right. The last card that they revealed is a star card. You only get one of these. The math works out so that you get one in your deck. It has three pips on it. It has white, blue, orange. Which is amazing, by the way. Right. I mean, they printed one other card, white, blue, orange, before Fuel Cash. Fuel Cash, that, yeah. uh Like, the text on it is mediocre. It says draw three cards if you, like, jump through a million hoops. But those hoops are difficult to jump through. I guess if you have a bunch of fuel cash in your deck, it's easier because they like trigger themselves, but like they're, those are star cards too. So what are you going to do? Like just going to play a million star cards. Right. Yeah. So relentless invasion. I'm going to go one tall <laughs> Optimus prime battlefield legend. That's what I'm going to do. Just, yeah. We have a guy in our, here, here in our local, Is this yeah. for you in our local crew here. We have a guy that has battlefield legend deck that is just battlefield legend plus 12 stars, 12 stars. And, I don't know if it's won a game yet, but <laughs> I don't think it has. But it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like it is the it's, the things that yeah. it does are so funny, and you, yeah. it takes you 
as you play against it, it takes you so off of your normal game plan. You're like, I guess I just attack Optimus. Like, you and, don't and have any choices and you don't have any time. Like, you're playing, like, five white area bots. You get one flip and one attack with a bunch of dorky Ds that do nothing, yeah. which is pretty funny. You still come out ahead because of things like Infernal Breath and things like Marksmanship. Right. The but time that I played against it, I was playing Spy Patrol. So I like had Pierce two on my laser beak and just like attacked him four times, right? Because like he gets so many stupid attacks, yeah. And I don't know, it, it's funny, but anyway, anyway, back to the Relentless Invasion. <laughs> Relentless Invasion is a Decepticon action again, white, orange, blue. That's that's cool, but the problem with this card, I think, is that you can only play one and you can't pick it up because there's no green pip. This card would be better if it was just like. Like, like if they were reversed. It should be orange, blue, green. Like, <laughs> yeah. that would be amazing. Like, just take the white pip off and make it green, and this card would be incredible. So, the action says, if you have Trypticon Assault Base on the battlefield, put Full Tilt, Wipeout, and Brunt from your KO pile onto the battlefield fully repaired. The characters put onto the battlefield this way attack this turn. At end of turn, put each of those characters that's still on the battlefield under Trypticon. Now, I was talking last episode or two episodes ago about Soundwave and how Recover Cassette is a book and there's just like a ton to take away. This is like like a bunch of Recover Cassettes. All in one. Yeah. So this is one of the most powerful things that you could probably do in the Transformers game up to this point, assuming that you do every part of it. So if your Trypticon is alive and you That's have... a big all, if. But all, yeah. yeah. If, you, if your Trypticon is still alive when you have all of your Trypticon bots KO'd, which is not an unreasonable thing given the text on Trypticon where like he heals kind of, but he also just like kills him himself or, you know, you have you one shall stand your brunt or whatever. Like, like it's not, it's a bunch of hoops, but it's not as many hoops as you think it is because the deck is already trying to kill these guys. So we get all of them into the KO pile and then we get to like, I still function all of them. Like they just all come into play fully repaired right which i don't know how much that actually matters but it would like stop your opponent from doing some wacky stuff like like bolster a multi-mission gear and then zap them or something right. but like nobody's ever gonna do that anyway so we get them all into play and they all get to attack so even if it's not the wheel turn which you know normally you're gonna have a lot of untaps in a game against trypticon because he's usually only one wide right uh, maybe he's wider depending on how many of the battlefield incursions you've drawn but you get to attack three times and then you get to put them all under your trypticon to deploy again right because much like the blaster and sound wave recover cassette thing they're in a separate zone under the trypticon where they're not ko'd anymore like and when you put something under something else it fully heals them that's that's what they ruled with right. blaster and sound wave so it's i don't know it, it's it seems like you're doing just a hundred things on that turn it does and like you don't have to put them all under Trypticon. You could play this card and flip your Trypticon and do his effect and put one back into KO. Like Right. I mean, there, there's so many different play patterns here that it's hard to understand how impactful this would be. Right. I don't even know what this does fully. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think until, you know, we build a deck around it. And the problem is, is like, obviously right now, well, let's keep going through spoilers. But, but for right now, just for clarity, like I'm not focused on wave four cards because we still have invitationals we need to qualify yeah. for. But when I do make that shift, I'm hoping there's a few more spoiled cards that make sense in this deck because I'm, I just don't think looking at wave one, two, and three cards combined with these spoiled cards we've talked about right now, 
Trypticon's not going to be there. He's just not going to be there yet. But Wave 4 could introduce something that just like blows this whole commentary out of the water. So let's move on from the Trypticon set that we've seen so far, the, the five cards we've seen so far. We got two extra spoilers this week. Last week, yeah. We got... We got two spoilers that are both very exciting to me. Yep. Like, much more exciting than Trypticon. Yep. I, I mean, I like Trypticon just fine, but these are sweet. Kevin talked a little bit about the Hot Rod. Yeah, let's just um, let's just break down Hot Rod first, and then we'll do the last one. Yeah, Hot Rod is our first non-Trypticon spoiler. Private Hot Rod is a car, and he's melee. He has four attack, 12 health, and two defense, and he's nine stars. Okay, so before we go any further, I just want to go on the record... I don't like Hot Rod because hashtag he killed Optimus. But here we go. I 100% agree. Yeah. No, this I, I, this <laughs> card is so... I mean, like, obviously Wizards loves Hot Rod because they make great well, Hot Rod cards. Everybody loves Hot Rod because he's like the generic anime hero from the cartoon where, like, he was like the nobody and then his he has, like, the super destiny to lead the Autobots after Optimus dies. And, I mean, it's, it's really more that Ultra Magnus is an idiot. Because he couldn't figure out how to put his fingers in the finger holes of the Matrix right. and Hot Rod could. He's like, oh, these are finger holes. He pulls it apart and becomes an awesome semi-truck. Right. All painted orange and yellow. I, but but he, he's still hashtag kill Optimus. Yeah. Okay. It's, so it's, it's Hot Rod's fault. But it's all Hot Rod's fault. Immediately okay. following the movie in the cartoon, Optimus comes back to life and everything's back to normal. <laughs> yeah. But, but so we can continue to spoil this car. But I just wanted to get that out on record. Yeah. So 412-2 for nine stars. This is a fine stat line. It's not like a great stat line. He's tanky, but well, he doesn't he's have more hand. tanky than the seven star, but obviously he's more stars. So, yeah. So he has a new keyword. Kevin mentioned it's called safeguard. He has safeguard three. Can't take more than three damage while undamaged. This is a very interesting ability. Like we all know that Scrapnel from wave one kind of breaks the rules of the game. Like he's very good. He just only takes three all the time. Well, this isn't quite as good as that because anytime he has damage on him, you just ignore the ability. Right. And so if you zap him or, you know, do Watch whatever, stand, yeah. fall. And anything else and you, there's, you, there's you a large them. number of things that turn this off, but you still have to turn it off or else your attack is just garbage. Right. Like you do three damage into a 12 health bot. Like, yeah, whatever. You're, you're really far behind. So yeah, you do three damage into a seven health bot that can only take three. We know that's good. Right. So when you do three damage into a 12 health bot, like. Yeah, so well, I think, I think just to kind of preface this and to kind of piggyback off of Kem Kevin's comments from earlier, you know, I wonder if this will bring Autobot healing to a forefront when we have Specialist Ratchet from Wave 3 that gets plus attack for healing. That it, there's an opportunity here. Right, so you, you, you say Ratchet, like... He's like the only good payoff for healing up to this point, and it's not even that good. Like it's no, fine, no, no. I understand, but I'm but just wondering if like, you're you're absolutely these... right about Hot Rod or any other card that they print in the set that has safeguard that like that makes healing interesting because you attack me for three or whatever, and I heal it right off. I have the safeguard turned on again. Like right, like that's. I mean, it's you, a you get into a range where like you start doing some crazy stuff. Well, so it's I think it's Freedom Fighter Optimus Prime when he flips back to his alt mode can heal one damage from all the Autobots. Right. And like RC heals one and this happens to be like a car. So Prowl can, I guess Prowl can heal anyone. Right. But like if you want him in the cars deck, he's a car. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out. This is a card that's very interesting to me, but yeah, let's read his, let's read his uh, so bot he, side. Right. And, and he has even more text on the front side here that it, that will be important to the bot side text. So when you reshuffle your deck and this doesn't have a battle card under him, 
put the bottom card of your deck face down under him. And this is very reminiscent of Nemesis, right? Like Very. Though Nemesis has the ability that deals with his cards on the same side, Car Hot, or Private Hot Rod does not. It's only on his car side. So you want him to be in car mode when you reshuffle to turn on the ability on his bot side. On his bot side, he is melee. He has five attack, 12 health, one armor. So again, this is a fine stat line. Five attack is a good attack. He's He seems pretty good in that respect. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, he's right in line with what we were talking about with Kevin, but just like a decent stat line bot, regardless of what his text says. Yep. So the important text of this side is, while this has a battle card under him, you may play an extra, extra action on each of your turns. So this is really interesting, right? Like if we manage to jump through the hoops to get a battle card under him, we reshuffle while he's in car mode, then he, ha- he has like Menasaur ability. Right. That's very powerful. Like, Agreed. Like who knows what you could do with ex- like, like this kind of thing turned on. What I think is interesting about this is Hot Rod forces your opponent to focus him down, which allows you on a wider team, again, talking wide teams here, on a wider team, it allows you to suit up somebody else because your opponent can't ignore him, right? Like you just can't. You're not going to want to leave him standing around through a deck shuffle. So we'll see how he plays out. I'm, I'm not ready to like... I'm definitely not going to call out Hot Rod Broken, you know, or anything yeah. like that. But I, I think he's going to be very solid, and I think he's going to be a good contender for Wave 4 for a, a new bot lineup. The things that I take away from Hot Rod are that Safeguard is a really cool ability. Mm-hmm. Not specific to Hot Rod, just in general. That keyword is very awesome. And that Wizards has done a great, like, flavor job on this card. Like, this is a flavor win because, you know, he's, like, just a car does whatever until there's like this defining moment in his like life that turns him into this awesome guy. So, you know, that's, I I think that that's just cool from a flavor perspective. And I, I think that this will set a trend for bots like this in the future, like nemesis that have this, like, if you stay in the game long enough, this bot is really good kind of ability though. I, I think hot rod is good without the extra action text. I, I think he's, unless they print a bunch of like other safeguard bots that are also good, he will see play just because of safeguard. Absolutely. So let, uh, let's move on from Hot Rod just because we are short on time. Let's reveal the last one. Let's talk to about this last one quick. We'll do our, our prep and, you know, kind of what we're doing for Energon Invitational Prep, and then we're going to wrap the episode up. Yeah. So the last spoiler that we got on Friday is Raider Ratbat. Now, this makes me very excited because I. I just love Soundwave. We talked about that last episode. Did you we're going to talk, talk about see, me loving Soundwave in every episode. Probably. Did you see Transformers TCG's tweet about it, though? We found out there's an international rat day. Oh, yeah. We found out there's an inter- international bat day, but we didn't. We couldn't find an international rat bat day. Yeah. I, I thought that was really so well done. They declared August 9th international rat bat day. They did. So rat bat is a spy patrol. And this is cool because Soundwave is cool. A spy patrol is cool. He is unfortunately, like, six stars so you can't really expensive for him you can't go three spy patrol plus sound wave yet maybe we can we don't know what else is going to print in the set or in wave right i I mean they definitely don't want you to have ravage laser beak and this guy right they they obviously think it's too crazy so let's let's read what he does before you talk about the spy patrol in general so on his cassette side he's just a spy patrol they have yet to make the i don't think they will cross over these with the 35th anniversary one 
But so he's just a spy patrol. He has zero attack, ten health, and two defense. So he's very very similar to the other ones. Pretty tanky for his stars, and with the sound wave, he's got three defense. Like that's a ton. He has revenge. So this is the ability we talked about the Trypticon guys. When it's KO'd, you get to do this. Choose a battle icon color, then look at your opponent's hand and scrap a card from that has that color. So this so is espionage. It's right? espionage when he dies. And that's I mean, that's really cool. Like Totally agree. This is this is a much more powerful revenge than the other like the Trypticon bots have. Agreed. Though it does mean that you have to have him in cassette mode when he dies to do Which it. Which can be a little awkward sometimes to make happen. Right, because you want him to have power like during the game. You want him to attack, and you want to be flipping your other bots to attack also. So on the on the bot side, he has Spy Patrol and he's ranged, so he gains ranged. Three attack, ten health, one defense, and he has a tap ability, which is tap, reveal the top card of your deck, repair one damage from each of your characters for each different color among that card's battle icons. So that's really interesting because Wizards has gone on record a couple of times. They talked about it at Gen Con. They've talked about it even in some of the, the notes recently about how they really want to empower mixed pip decks. And so this is a good step in the right direction for that. But I don't know whether or not that makes that competitive. But right. So again, it's it's a healing ability. So we take this with a grain of salt. Like we don't have healing abilities right now that are important or impactful. Like... Maybe there's a safeguard guy that we want to do this with, like it. But who knows? You know, this is all speculation. Right. For now, you know, the magical Christmas land of this card is flip a fuel cash, or I guess Trypticon card. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you were playing, playing that, but yeah, fuel um, cash would definitely be something that you could consider. And and it repairs that many from each bot, so like you could potentially heal a lot of damage. Now. This is in a perfect world where somehow we've spread out all the damage among all our guys and we've gotten like three damage on everyone and we're going to repair it all. Right. And even if you're doing that, like not losing is not the same as to, winning. To, to so, be clear though, <laughs> it, it's, it's making sure that I'm reading this correctly. It's it's each color pip, right? So it, it doesn't matter what color specifically. It's just that if there's multiple color pips and we heal that much damage. Is that correct? Each different color. Different among, color, right. Yeah. So... So I mean cards I'm, I mean cards like roll out are really interesting right. here. Any of the green pip uh, ones, bashing shield, bashing shield, any and of the like covert armor, sparring gear, yeah. yeah, all of all of these cards that have green and said color of your choice. And the the spy patrol deck specifically is one of the decks that wants like the black plus blues, right? Like, so there's some blue blacks in the deck, and, and like smoke cloak and and you know possibly steady shot maybe seen in some of those decks. So like I think that when you really start to break these things down and understand, I think the expected value on this card is probably two. But yeah, living the dream is right. Is but three. Even if you hit two, it's only good if you have two damage on all your guys already. Right. Like it. The thing is, like a three ten one on this side for Which six is stars. Insane. Like we were talking about at Red Alert earlier in the episode with Kevin, and like this passes very that similar test. stat line. Yeah. Where like you just want to attack. the The biggest issue with this guy, I think, is that he's six stars. Right. Like. Right now, the Spy Patrol deck that that I have played and that I've seen other people playing the lineup is Laserbeak, Ravage, Soundwave, Detour. So you can go four wide. Right. And so you cannot you do that. Can't with, do that with this. I mean, 
you would have you would only have him as spy patrol. You can't play him one other spy patrol and another bot. Right. I just wonder like I just wonder if the thought process up to this point with Major Soundwave being a blue pierce deck, I think that leads to that because of Laserbeak with his Pierce 2. But I just wonder if we're thinking about Soundwave incorrectly and this card's telling us, hey, think about Soundwave in a more aggressive shell. I mean, what a great piece of tyranny target. You know, like when I, and maybe not even this guy, but like another like a, a five star battlemaster. Well, it has to be six stars in a piece it, but uh, six stars or less, right? Six stars or more. Six stars or more. Okay, so like we'd have to be looking at Lionizer or something like that alongside him. But, but I'm I'm just thinking about it from a perspective of this. This guy shows a pretty aggressive stat line, and when we look at it from that perspective, I wonder if they're trying to convince us that the extra untap of spy patrols from from Soundwave on an aggressive stat line kind of gets us into that wider effect like a cars deck. And so let's, I mean, I'm, I don't want to explore that right now because we're out of time, but there's something we will be looking at in the future, I think, and we will come back and discuss it. Right. Because I, I mean, I'm very excited about this card just because I think he's cool. Yeah, I, of course. At this point, my bold prediction is that he is not competitive, but he's cool and he makes me like want to play him and he makes me want to see them spoil me another Spy Patrol yeah, I mean, if we get a if we get a four star spy patrol, well, that would be nuts. I don't think they can do that, but we might get another five. Yeah, but if you so Soundwave's eleven, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay, so if you've got eleven plus this guy, that's seventeen. Five would take you to twenty two, but you can't go four wide then. Right. So I, I but the the reason they won't print a four star one is because they don't want you to go th- Soundwave, Ravage, Laserbeak, Spy, spy patrol, patrol guy. Yeah, that but, makes sense. I mean, too. maybe they will. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe maybe he'll just suck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, very possible. But again, I just we'll just have to see what comes out of yeah. this. But I, I think that, you know, these kinds of cards are so interesting to me with cards like Inferno Breath, you know, and, and that goes back to that blue shell. So I think that's a big reason why people are playing blue as well. But I mean, let, let's be honest. Is this guy interesting if, if, he, if he's a reckless charge target? I mean, it, it's seven attack. You know, for the cost of three damage on him. I mean, he's probably not going to live through most one shots of aggressive shells anyways with one defense and 10 health. So, like, you might as well be kind of swinging for the moon with him. And and seven attack in an orange shell is probably good for nine attack out of this little cassette. And if your opponent doesn't want to kill him because they're sitting there going, well, you know, crap, he's just like a little guy. Like, why do I want to waste a whole attack in that little guy? You know, Soundwave can just turn around and bring him right back. And he may be able to do it all over again. Yeah, I... I don't know. We'll see. I I hope that there's like some spy patrol love in wave four for the battle cards. Right. Not yeah. not just bots. Like bots would be great too. But is, is he common or uncommon or rare? He's a common. So that means he's definitely gonna show up in draft. Oh uh, yeah, and I, I would play this guy in draft. His stats are just like yeah. His stats good. are great for that that star count. Okay, so we've we have discussed spoilers. You and I are are what I would call neck deep in Energon Invitational testing. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. So let's let's talk about it just briefly, kind of what our testing plan looks like, how we're handling that. Right. So like I mentioned a little bit ago, the two results that I've seen from in- Energon Invitationals from this weekend, uh, this, this episode will air like a few more weeks from now. So there will be more results than what in, we have in right between now. Right. like when this is recorded and when it's loaded up. So please please pay attention to your local results and other results as well in between. Like, like don't take all this just from what I'm saying here, but the two results that I've seen from this weekend were both Insecticon victories. Yep. And I mean, I'm kind of operating under the assumption that Insecticons is still like 
maybe not the best deck. Like maybe we don't know what the best deck is. There's all kinds of theory crafting or whatever, but like Insecticons is a deck we know is good. We know is consistent. And like, we know is something that a lot of people have experience with already. Mm -hmm. And all of those things add up to just it being everywhere. It, yeah, and I, I want to preface that really quick, though. Insecticons is not unbeatable. I mean, everybody thinks, like, I keep seeing this, like, you know, is it so good to have the king of the hill be Insecticons? And, and obviously, Kevin's four-wide deck shows that there are beatable decks, but because it has Cliff Jumper in it, and because Cliff Jumper is so imperative to how you beat Insecticons, I think at a local level, it's a lot harder to beat them because you don't necessarily have a lot of Cliff Jumpers running around local metas. Sure. The I mean, the biggest thing about Kevin's deck against Insecticons is that it's just as wide as there. Like, that's that's how Insecticons wins the aggro matchups. It wins the, the blue matchups just by, like, powering them out just like any aggro deck. But it wins the aggro matchups by just, like, valuing them out. Like, it, it has more attacks it has like extra attacks from isolate function it has like random free force fields by attacking with scrapnel like that, that kind of right. stuff like these things that are all good against aggro matchup and it's just it's so consistent because there's very few cards in the deck that if you have no cards in hand and you draw you're like unhappy about yeah like all the cards are are on almost the entire game Right. So I think I think from from my perspective, the things you should be testing against right now at a local level for Energon Invitational, my perspective as it sits right now, is I think aerial bots are very accessible and they're very good. So I think that people will be bringing aerial bots and yeah. you should know how to play them. Another thing that that aerial bots has and Insecticons has is comfort level where like both those decks are not very different with Wave 3. Like they're not very different from what they were playing last year. So people who are comfortable with those decks will play them and like you'll see a lot of them just because of that correct you know they're they're consistent and they're they're practiced and so the, those are two decks that you and i have on our list of decks that we test again like against like come up with a new idea or whatever we those start against first, insecticons starting against insecticons and then we, we go against aerial bots because i think if, those are those are really common experiences yeah. that you're going to face off in local metas because of how easy they are to acquire and build the the decks that are a little less obvious, but I think uh, with astute players could show up. I think the Vector Sigma deck, uh, General Optimus deck will be a real thing at locals at some point. Now that it, now that everyone knows that's what Vector was playing, it'll be everywhere. Yeah, I just I think it's a deck that's a lot harder to play than people realize when you look at it on paper. I yeah, I think it has some nuance to it. I mean, the Vector guys are really really good, obviously, yeah, and they know how to leverage that also, like. In most tournaments so shout out to them for for being great the deck i think is not a deck that's inaccessible i think it's like a deck that you should play some before you take it somewhere you like yes. you can't just pick it up but no that's a deck that's very good that we have built in our testing and cars like yeah car and i think the cars cars lionizer is probably yeah. more important than just the normal cars right test against lionizer decks yes like whatever lionizer the, the, deck. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what the other bots are kind of because all the shells are really similar right using i i guess a good place to start would be the second place deck from yes. gen con the the, the wheeljack prowl lionizer yeah. Deck, yeah so if you have access to that list i know that uh online akuma did a a deck deck of it so you can get the yep. list from there if you want it that's a good example of how lionizer works like there's like the blur deck that is like I just think like the dorky. blur deck is too glass cannony to be consistent yeah. enough to expect it. But it could it could win a local. I or mean like, it could win, yeah. win a local. Or like I just Grimlock. Only, yeah, like Grimlock. There's, there's all these one. versions of like the Optimus one, like Battlefield Legend Lionizer. All these versions of just like try to play peace or tyranny decks 
are very similar and you don't need to put in a bunch of games against each individual version just understand how they work and be ready to face them because that you know if you listen to vector or akuma or anybody that was at gen con and played in those things they were describing the field of the first day it was, was a bunch everywhere. of insectagons there's a bunch of lionizers yep and so be ready for those things now if you know your local meta and you know there's some dude that always plays battlefield legend or whatever or some dude that always plays i don't know fire con something stupid fire wheels like, yeah like be ready for those decks you obviously you should be ready for those decks but if you're just like say you're traveling to get to an invitational, uh, which we may do because I'm going to miss the local one. Yeah, well, we're definitely um, going to be traveling to Omaha. There's a very good chance we're going to be traveling to Kansas City. But my my thought process with this, there you have to understand in any given lineup what makes a particular lineup tick, right? And so the Lionizer shell, as we're going to call it, is generally the same. So the plan for beating Lionizer is generally the same. And if it's not because of some stupid spicy tech that somebody has thrown together, you're probably going to see that in game one and understand it and be able to rapidly. You you just shouldn't worry about that. I don't think Yeah. my, my biggest advice for these invitationals is that like, like one of the results that had the Insecticons win was an eight person tournament. Right. Anybody can win an eight-person tournament. Right. Play a deck that you're comfortable with. Don't try to get cheeky. Like, don't right. don't be like, oh, Vector played Optimus Barrage Fire Drive, so I have to pick this up and go play it at the next Invitational. Don't do that. Like, if you want to put in the time and get good at that deck, fine, do it. But, like, if you're just going to an Invitational on Saturday and you're like, I want to play in this Invitational and go to PAX, Play the deck you know how to play. Play the deck you're comfortable with. Play the deck that you don't have to think real hard because you're going to play several rounds. Like, you don't want to tire yourself out. Right. And that you just feel confident in all your play lines. Yeah. And that and, you feel confident about it. Like, and, it, that's really yeah, important. The, the, like, knowing your own deck is step one. Like, that's, that's where you should be. Like, play it enough times that you understand its nuances, that you're comfortable playing it for a long period of time and this is even more important for the bigger tournaments like that eight person tournament you know you won't play very many rounds but maybe there's 32 person invitation to go to maybe maybe there's a big one and you're going to play many rounds and you just you don't want to like make mistakes because you haven't practiced absolutely the second step is knowing the meta which is what we just talked about a little bit like you don't need to know everybody's exact deck list if you want to go and like analyze all the deck lists from gen con and like write down your sideboard plan for every single one that's great like put in the time do your work i hope that you're rewarded for it but the most important thing that you need to take away is like when you're sitting across from somebody and you're making your decisions make them educated on what they might have like like nobody's going to be playing i don't know bad attitude or something don't play around a bad attitude be ready to play around the cards that they may have in their deck which is honestly not that large a percentage of the the card pool available absolutely and if somebody somebody gets you with a bad attitude, if somebody's playing some some crazy random stuff that you've never seen, then you just be okay with that. Yeah, because, you have to be. Yeah, there's there's nothing you can do. Yeah, no, and, not not there's just no way to prep for everything. I think the main thing is understanding when you uh, and I don't want to dive into sideboarding. Maybe we can talk about it in a future episode and talk about your experience with sideboarding and my experience with sideboarding. And because since we've come from magic, which is a background where sideboarding is so important, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that in a future episode because I think there's some real strategic nuance to sideboarding. And the the thing I'll say about sideboards is that it is an excellent addition to the game. Absolutely. You know, this game is rock, paper, scissory. 
like in the in the meta right now i mean i think it's mostly orange but there's still just like these different areas that like bugs is one and cars is one and like or like the big the like one big bot two small bots like versions or whatever and they all kind of like beat up it on each other in this rock paper scissors circle listen to vector sigma if you want more on that uh scott landis has a whole bunch of things about like spheres of influence right but, like adding the sideboard you know if you know your deck and you're practiced with your deck you're going to know what it's weak against and sideboard for those matchups like yep. that's what you have to know that's all you ha- that's all you can know right so. it shore up those matchups with three or six cards or whatever like don't don't get stupid like people are going to have these wacky transform sideboards where they change like 10 cards in their deck every game and maybe that's maybe maybe there's a deck out there that that's good in that i can't say that there's not but just if you want to do good at competitive events don't try to get too cute that's yeah i totally agree it's about consistency it's about obvious play lines it's about it's about making sure that, you know, in any given circumstance, you know, the best route and path to victory, which is why in I think a reasonable amount of time. Exactly. Too. Because that's why I think the shockwave deck struggled so much at Gen Con was just, they, they couldn't make obvious decisions in a short amount of time. Yeah. The shockwave deck is, is takes a long time to win. Mm-hmm. It is complicated to play. Mm-hmm. And like those things don't go well in a 50 minute round. Like we found that out. Right. Uh, Right. Um, I mean, we just, we were playing some shockwave games that were literally 45 minutes to conclusion, right? Like shockwave may win that, but at 45 minutes you're going, Oh my goodness. Like how the heck do I actually win in a tournament with this? I mean, be prepared for those games. Cause I, I think that the, the next level of things of decks that you should look out for are like the three wide blue decks. Absolutely. Um, I think, I think you better, whether it's shockwave or optimus or whoever, I think you better be looking at optimus three wide. Cause I mean, whether, even though Gen Con wasn't like that prevalent with him, I, he's still a fine, strong deck. And he's in a million sideboards, like the sideboards, you know, the decks that sideboarded into an optimus or a nemesis or whatever to go taller like you have to be ready to play against that. Like it's not it's not the same game, not at all. But I don't know. In general, the biggest thing I think you should take away is that you need to know the cards that might be out there, and more important than that, you need to know the cards that are in your deck. Yep. And you know, build some of the decks you saw at Gen Con. Play a bunch of games against them. If you know your local meta, you have a step up. Like you have an advantage. And and for those of you that maybe don't have the means to build all of these decks for testing, just grab your common stack pile and start writing cards. Yeah. Just proxy them. Just proxy them. Just don't, don't even sweat it. Like you're not, you don't, I mean like we, I've taken proxy cards to our locals for like local casual constructed and nobody's ever been like, Oh, you can't play that because it's a proxy card. And if you're playing with a group of people or that are that way, like I'm sorry. That's, that's really kind of crappy. Right. If it's for testing, like nobody will care. If you're playing a tournament that is prized or whatever and it's sanctioned, don't bring proxies. Yeah, don't but do that. Like, if you're just testing, like we wrote on so many, the back of so many cards. Oh man, I, I, <laughs> I, I have ran out of, so I ran out of my excess battlefield reports. I ran out of my excess security consoles. Yeah. I mean, field communicators, like I, I'm just out we're of like, them. We're like proxy and commons and stuff just because to get we them need, in there. We need but, them. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that's, uh, that, that's going to do it for this episode. Yep. I think we had uh, a lot of fun. Obviously Kevin was very insightful and I'm so happy that he could join us. Uh, yeah. The spoilers coming from Watsi are exciting. I think Wave Four is shaping up 
up to be really cool. I, I, we'll, we'll stay on top of those as they come out. We'll, we'll reveal them in the episodes. Yep. You know, we'll talk about our invitational experiences after we've started playing those. I've got one coming up here in a few weeks. Yep. This is your only chance because I'm going to be in all the other ones. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. All right. <laughs> I, like I said, I play you all the time. So I, I, I feel like I can squeak out a win when I need to. All right. So thanks again for tuning in with us. We are the Shuffle Bus. I think the bus is going to stop here and we're going to let you off. Thanks, guys.